You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Hi, uh, this is Arya Cohen-Wade, and I'm your host today on Culturally Determined. And my guest is Brandy Jensen. Uh, Brandy, could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Brandy. Um, I'm an associate editor at The Outline, um, where I have an advice column called Ask a Fuck Up. And uh, other than that, I'm just on Twitter a lot. Uh, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, I've been a fan of yours for at least a couple of years. How long have you been on Twitter? Uh, I joined in 2015. Okay, so probably about that long, and you've had a yeah. meteoric rise through the bizarre ranks of Twitter. So we're going to be talking about uh, your your advice column, Ask a Fuck Up. What is it? Do, was it called Dear Fuck Up originally? Uh, it's called Ask a Fuck Up, and then each question just starts with Dear Fuck Up. Okay, that makes sense. And also, yeah, a little bit. It started bit. out as a, as a Twitter joke where I sort where where I like half jokingly said that somebody should give me an advice column called Ask a Fuck Up. Um, and then somebody did. And so, you know, the, the name stuck. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, that's what I had in my memory. I kind of remember that tweet and then that you, you had such a positive uh, reaction to it that um, you were able to, to turn it into reality. So Twitter really does change, uh, change people's lives. Um, the secret is real, but only <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So why, well, I guess, first of all, um, what, what qualifies you to give advice as a fuck up? Um, well, I mean, the great thing about an advice column is that the only thing that qualifies me to do it is that people write to me and ask me for advice. Um, and so, you know, I don't really need, um, too many qualifications outside of that. If you, if you're asking what qualifies me to call myself a fuck up, like so, so many things, (laughs) the entirety of my personal history, all of my (laughs) twenties. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, like, like many of us. Us, I, you know, have sort of had a, a, a meandering path through life and um, bartended for 10 years in my 20s, which, you know, leads you to making a whole bunch of um, mistakes, you know, bad sexual decisions and <laughs> um, waking up places uh, you shouldn't be. Um, yeah. And then I uh, decided that I was going to, you know, leave my fuck up years behind and go to, go to grad school. And then a few years into that, realized that that was also a giant life mistake and that I didn't want to be in grad school at all. Uh-huh. Um, so I sort of bounced around a little bit what, from what there. Did, what did you study in grad school? English Lit. Oh, okay. I was an English major as an undergrad as well, but uh, any yeah. of my studies there. Uh, where, did you have a particular area you were, you were studying? Uh, Victorian literature. And I, I read a lot of uh, super pretentious literary theory. <laughs> um, do you think that does that does does that aspect of it? Do you ever think back to the you know like, uh, you know Jane Eyre or something? Would you're uh, consider considering people's dilemmas? Um, I don't know. I mean, I do. I do sometimes think so. I get a lot of questions about um, relationships, modern relationships, how hard it is to date. Um, particularly, you know, people asking me to like decode something what does this mean um and i do sometimes think that like the victorians you know for as much as they get a bad rap for being um prudish or or moralizing um they were very clear in their communication styles right there was you know there was a very like robust culture of letter writing there was the victorian language of flowers where like this specific flower and the specific culture or color means, you know, this exact phrase. And so I do think that they sort of had us beat in terms of how we communicate with each other now. 
where, you know, it's become sort of a meme of like, you know, standing at the altar on your wedding day going like, okay, what are we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's certainly more, you know, a- ambiguous <laughs> signals one can send uh, someone else uh, today that, I've, you know, just have been invented in the past 10 years. Like, what does this emoji mean or, or yeah. something like that? Um, okay. So then you, so then you, you dropped out of um, graduate school and where did, where did you go next? Dropped out of grad school, uh, moved to Minneapolis, uh, got married, bought a house, did that whole thing. Um, figured, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try the like, you know, life classic. <laughs> um, <and laughs> then, um, you know, realized that also that was not really for me. Um, not marriage itself as an institution. Big, still, still a big fan of marriage, just not the one that I tried. Um, didn't, didn't work out. So then I, uh, moved to New York and, um, sort of accidentally got into media. Um, got my first job doing social media for a magazine and then it's kind of snowballed from there. I didn't really set out to like be somebody who writes things for the internet, but, um, people kept offering me money to do it and (laughs) broke. So. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about your social media skills, uh, I guess in the second half of this conversation because they are, um, you know, you're, you're one of like the top practitioners of the form, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so, okay, so let's, let's talk about some of the things you have written about in, uh, Ask a Fuck Up. Um, do you, uh, do you think like, so I, you know, you were, you write for the outline and I think that's a, um, you know, a online publication that primarily has like an audience, like in its twenties and thirties. And so it's probably mostly young people who are writing to you. Like what, what, so what are like the most common problems that young people are are having today? Um, well, besides, you know, the aforementioned, like, Oh, I'm in a, I'm in a relationship or like, you know, I, I want to be in a relationship. What does this mean? Um, the biggest thing that's sort of surprising. So, you know, to backtrack a little bit, like I said, it started, the idea of the column started as a Twitter joke and I was kind of worried that, you know, it would just be a bunch of people asking me like, how do I be, you know, um, responsibly horny in the DMs or something like that. Um, but instead, <laughs> is, is a hot dog truly a sandwich or not? Yeah, I mean, do people send you shit like that? Um, at first, yes. But the, the longer I write the column, the more I get uh, variations on the same question, which has something to do with like, you know, I'm depressed. <laughs> the world is bad. Like, what do I do about that? Um, which, you know, I've, I've answered variations of that question before, but I, you know, I get, I get a lot of them. I am now, you know, sort of like the depression advice columnist, I guess, um, which is, um, you know, it's, I think it's certainly like telling that so many young people, um, feel this same sense of like alienation and loneliness and kind of, um, you know, blank despair. Um, but it also, you know, there's only so many ways that you can answer the, like, I'm depressed. What do I do question? Like, you know, try to try to like find comfort in, um, the fact that we're in this together, go to therapy, you know, be medicated if you have to be. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I get a lot of, I get a lot of, you know, I'm depressed how do I tell my parents or I'm depressed, like how supportive should I expect my partner to be or something like that. Mm-hmm. The, the main theme 
Mm-hmm. And you, you, we'll, we'll link to some of these columns below. So you wrote one called, um, how do you live when everything sucks? That, yeah. <laughs> from someone who I, I think was in therapy and was, um, I don't, I can't remember if they're on medication or not, but, um, was feeling a lot of despair about the world. Um, you know, often I feel like, and you're open about your own um, history with depression in a column. I feel like, you know, sometimes re- I, reading other columns or ones that, um, you know, go viral or something. I, my thought is like, you know, the first piece of advice should be, uh, this person needs to find a therapist. Yeah. Um, there was one that went viral a couple of years ago about a, a person who was like at the bottom of the New York media industry and was felt like utter despair that they had it. Like they didn't, one of the details that sucked me was they didn't have like a avatar by Darth whereas like all the cool people <laughs> had an avatar by Darth. Do you remember this at all? It was in the cut. So I, I, think was- I do not. Although it's hard, like so many of the, the like hate reads kind of blur into each other over the years. Yeah, so people were like, could this possibly be real? And we're making, kind of making fun of it. And I don't, it just struck me as like, this is someone who's like suffering from depression and sees at every, you know, something negative at, around every corner. And yeah. the, the advice did not mention like, seek out a therapist. <laughs> Whereas I would have just been like, seek out a therapist. So yeah, so do, do you ever like just email someone back saying like, I think you need to see a therapist or? I have on occasion where it's something that like, I'm not going to, I can't really answer because it's not really a question. I also, I I do get a lot of like people just sort of, you know, this like confessional writing where they'll send me an email, but it's not really a question. It's not something that I can answer. Um, And on occasion I have just emailed back and said like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run this as, as a column, but like, yeah. Are you in therapy? Is that, you know, is therapy accessible to you? Because that's the other thing, right? Like, you know, okay, go to therapy is like an easy pat answer, but that kind of elides the ways in which therapy is often like very inaccessible to a lot of people. Um, It's hard to find a good therapist, even if you have insurance um, and they take it, you know, so many therapists are out of network, they're expensive. Um, You do sort of have to like, sometimes you have to try a couple before you find one that works for you. And it can be this like, you know, when you're already depressed and everything already feels like it's takes more effort than it should, um, it can be this really demoralizing process. So I try, you know, everybody should find a therapist, but I also think that like, oh, go to therapy makes it sometimes sound easier than it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's a really good point. You know, when you're, when you're depressed, even like getting out of bed and taking a shower can seem like almost insurmountable or yeah. it, it, <laughs> insurmountable and you just lie in bed. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, that's not the automatic solution. Um, yeah, but that's definitely, you know, we, we should, we should talk about therapy as like an unambiguously good thing more often. I mean, I think that is, that's the like stigma against mental illness, I think has certainly like lifted a lot mm-hmm. um, in the past few years where, you know, it used to be, there was still this vague sense of it was like a shameful confession of like, you know, <clears throat> oh, I, I suffer from depression. And, you know, now, like, everyone on Twitter is like, yeah, we all want to die. Like, it's, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I want to talk about that particular aspect of Twitter. Uh, and, and, um, but, yeah, I, th- I actually was just, I, the previous conversation I, I had on this show was with Max Reed, uh, who wrote an article about uh, human clickbait uh, based off of Trump and Kanye's Oval Office meeting. And I, yeah. in the conversation, I recalled that you um, – you know, you once tweeted uh, a tweet that stuck with me, which was uh, Twitter is the platform for ironic depressives. And like, e- like everyone, everyone on there seems to either have depression, pretend to have depression. Uh, like, why is that? But let's, let's hold on to that for, for a minute while we still talk about the, the column more. Um, so 
do you do you have kind of like a like an like an ideology of giving advice or like an overarching theme that you think like unifies the kind of advice you give? So yeah, when I started the column, I made you know a series of kind of loose promises to myself, which was that I was not going to use it as an excuse to write like three thousand word personal essays about. Um, you know, how happy my own relationship was or whatever. Um, because I felt like that is, that's often in the, in the advice column space to sort of become where a lot of personal essayists now live. Um, and they do a great job of it. And there are a bunch of other people to go to for that. That's not, you know, I didn't need that to be my thing. Um, I wasn't, I also, you know, told myself that I wasn't going to reassure everybody who wrote me that they were, you know, a, a beautiful, unique, wild-hearted, wonderful person who, you know, did not need to change their behavior and needed to, you know, should just, like, expect the world to comport to their desires. Um, because that, you know, there's something that I I really worry about and loathe um, that you see sometimes in advice columns and then also, you know, on lots of, place, lots of places online is this, like, this approach to self-care as a justification for terrible behavior. Um, and so that was one thing that, you know, if you are, if you're, if you're actually the asshole, like I, I'm not going to shy away from telling you that you're the problem. Um, and yeah, there's, uh, there's almost like a trend from in the past, just in the past couple of years of like celebrating the kind of behavior that people would usually say, like, you're being a jerk and saying like, yeah. you know, this is just me being real or just me like taking care of myself first. There's a tweet that went viral within the past week or two that was, about this, about like you're not, nobody, you know, saying nobody owes you fair yeah. treatments, you exactly. know, they nobody owes you a text back, and yeah, there's just there's a lot of ways in which we just provide alibis for jerks under the cover of like, oh, this is self care, like oh, I'm an introvert or I have social anxiety, and it's like no, you're just you're just a, a run of the mill jerk. Um, and we used to, we used to have a lower tolerance for that. Um, and I think that we, we could stand to have a lower tolerance for that. You know, the, I guess if there's like a, a theme running through almost all of my columns, it's, you know, that the responsibilities that we all bear toward each other, right. It's a sort of, you know, uh, cornier, more, um, more vulnerable and earnest version of like, we live in a society, <laughs> But but we do, and we are all kind of beholden to one another. And I think the the fact of that is often what terrifies you when you're young, right? Thinking that you are going to fail to live up to that requirement. Um, and a lot of people do kind of coast through a lot of their young adulthood, leaving this kind of collateral damage in their wake of people that they have failed to treat well or respectfully. Um, and so, and I, you know, and I did that and that's one of my sort of great regrets is, um, that I was, you know, when I was in the worst of my, like being a fuck up, I was also just a selfish piece of shit. And, um, you know, I, I regret the times that I heard people and treated them unfairly. Um, and the older you get, the more you kind of reckon with like your own legacy. And those are the things that, those are the things that stick with you, right? They're the times that you, um, hurt other people needlessly and you could have, you could have spared them that and didn't. Um, so yeah, a lot of my column is just trying to like get people to embrace, um, social responsibility. You know, the fact that we're social beings, that there's, 
there's a lot of comfort and like salvation to be found in that. Um, it's not scary. It's, you know, like one of the only reasons for being here, I guess, as, as a sort of like, um, for an atheist like me, particularly, like, I don't know who, to, to whom are we responsible? And the answer has got to be like one another. Mm-hmm. So we go from there. Yeah. You, in, the, in that column, um, you know, about living in a fucked up world, uh, you use the word beholdenness, which I yeah. thought was a good encapsulation of it. And yeah. Uh, you yeah know, there's, especially, there's... especially since there's so much, so much of like life under late capitalism or, or whatever you want to talk about it is, is um, in praise of the individual is this sort of like gesture towards atomization that we're all, we're all alone and competing with each other for ever uh, diminishing resources. Right. And I think that that does, you know, that that's a way to structure an economy and that's also a way to structure um, a society in ways that are like damaging and demeaning and demoralizing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what you were just saying reminded me of one of the columns that, that I liked a lot. Um, it was by a man, uh, it may have been titled like, uh, I'm a very bad man or I was a very bad man. And he oh, okay. uh, treated women very badly throughout his like young life and twenties and was emotionally abusive for sure. And possibly physically abusive. And then like at some point he came to a realization that he had been acting horribly towards people and like was working on himself. I think that's the one where you talk about like working on yourself uh, for like six or seven years. And then he wanted to, um, know if, if like he, he felt like he wanted to make amends or apologize to these uh, women who he dated and treated really badly. And the question was that he was posing was like, you know, should I do this? How do I do this? But then you kind of took it like in a, a different, a, a different direction. Oh yeah. Well, you know, when I said one of, one of my promises to myself when I started the column is that I wouldn't end up um, not answering questions and just writing personal essays. And, but that was the time I was like, no, fuck it. I'm going to do exactly what I said I wouldn't. Um, I mean, so that question came in, sorry, my dog is still racing around the apartment. Um, that question I received, I think like two days after the Gian Gameshi piece came out in the New York Review of Books. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to answer this one as a way of like sort of working through this larger question of like, you know, what do we do with bad men? Um, is there, is there a path for their like, you know, reintegration? Um, which is always just like such an odd question because, you know, there's a difference between like, I don't know. They, they don't, they don't, to my mind, require like getting back every single thing that they've lost through this terrible behavior, right? Um, you don't forgive somebody and then, you know, give them the same sort of like cultural stature or the same, you know, incredibly bloated paycheck or whatever that they had before. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, we were having this, you know, sort of larger conversation about um, what do you do with bad men? Um, how do they apologize correctly? And should they and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, this guy, I was sort of like, I don't know. His, his question was, interesting in that I think a lot of men and I said this in the column kind of like overestimate their importance in women's lives even when it's a matter of like destroying them right he you know he talked about like a woman in college who he was friends with that he pressured into sleeping with and then ghosted and like look man 
in terms of like how many bad boyfriends or bad male friends we've had, like, I don't think that she is still, you know, a decade later haunted by the fact (laughs) that you finally fucked her. You never called her again. Like this is probably not a trauma in this woman's life on the order that you may be thinking of it. Um, And there's, you know, there's a sort of arrogance there of like, you know, I, I have, I have irreparably damaged these women and I, and I owe them, some sort of apology. And it's like, look, the truth is like, she may not even remember you because it's, you know, it's one shitty guy after another sometimes. And they can they kind of all get mixed up together in the wash. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that column was just about like, I was just in a particularly tired mood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll link to that one below. I like, I like that one a lot. Um, but I mean, part of that one was like, you know, this question that's like an eternal question, I guess, of like, can people change? Can people reform themselves? Is I your they, character think, immutable or what? I think they can. I mean, I have to believe they can, right? Otherwise, the entire premise of like my column is kind of comes into question. Um, I I think you can absolutely. Um, the question of like how do you prove that or what does that then get you, right, is maybe a different question. I don't think you necessarily, like, reform yourself so that you can recover um, things that you've lost, right? You do it, you don't even necessarily do it with, like, an eye to the past. You do it with an eye to the future, right? And so, you know, okay, if you've been, if you've been a shitty guy and you've realized that now, you know, it's too late to do anything about what you may have done previously. And you, you, you know, you sort of, you just have to like live with the fact that there are women out there who think of you justifiably that way and who may talk about you that way with their friends. And you just gotta live with, you know, that being part of your reputation um, and then you just don't, you don't do it again <laughs> is sort of the big one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, when you change your behavior, it has to mean that, you know, that is, that is a permanent change. Um, and then I think for men particularly, you know, there's often a lot of like, well, what do I, you know, how do I apologize to, how do I make myself like better with the women in my life? And it's like, well, I mean, I don't know, part of what you can do for like, um, you know, as, as, as part of your like ongoing sentence or however you want to think about it, it's like, I don't know, maybe talk to the men in your life about how shitty you feel about the things you've done and, you know, how these like changes that you've made in your life. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's often very difficult for like women to convince men not to hurt us. <laughs> um, for better or worse, uh, it is, it is sometimes easier when men like apply that kind of social pressure among themselves. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, how, so what are the, what are the type of questions or how does the, the, the like gender split in terms of like the subjects or type of questions that young men and women are, are sending you like, is one, um, women more about like, I think the stereotype would be like women are more about relationships and maybe men are more about like career or something, but, or maybe I'm just being overly stereotypical. I mean, it's sometimes, uh, it's sometimes difficult for me to tell the gender of the person writing me the email. Um, sometimes people use throwaway emails, uh, or at least it seems that way to me. Um, and they usually use, you know, they'll, uh, sign their letters anonymously or with like, you know, a fake name or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, by and large, um, well, yeah, women tend to ask relationship questions. Men tend to ask, um, some variation of like, will anyone ever love me? <laughs> Which, uh, is kind of surprising. I get, I get a lot of men who I like really feel for, um, who are, you know, clearly very down on themselves and like generally don't have a lot of experience in relationships sort of asking me like, you know, what's, what's the, what's the like shortcut, you know, what's the, whatever the, you know, the video game thing is, the key, whatever, <laughs> like, how do I, how, what's the thing I can do to like be in a normal, good relationship and like, you know, I wish I had an answer to that, <laughs> uh, but that, yeah, that's, that's not one that we've, you know, as, as a species really been able to crack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking now about like kind of the, the like stereotypical way that men and women, young ones, I guess, um, talk about each other online. So the stereotype for the way women talk about men is men are trash and you can like see that, yeah. you know, see that everywhere. And then I think men are are more circumspect unless they kind of go to like the men's rights side or pick up artists or incel. And then they're like, you know, like women are evil and are like destroying, you know, destroying society and our lives. And we need to like go our own way. <laughs> some, some of them yeah. say, so there, and then, but then there's, you know, like the, I guess those are more towards the extreme. And then there's the middle <laughs> people who have, who have more uh, normal relationships between the sexes. Well, I mean, I do, you know, I do genuinely feel bad that there are, there are fewer ways that we talk about, like, what it is to be a man, right? I mean, you know, okay, sure, like, all culture is kind of, like, interested in what it means to be a man. Um, but, you know, the, the things that I, that I feel like a lot of guys kind of miss out on that, that women do have access to are these, like, these ways of being vulnerable with each other um, and these ways of like working through, um, you know, or lived experience or whatever, um, I think is, is easier sometimes uh, for women to do. There are fewer spaces for men to figure out like what it means to be good, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that might be, that's behind some of the appeal of Jordan Peterson. Um, is he's unfortunately, giving, yeah. I mean, it's he's it's, giving an answer to that kind of question that young young men have. Yeah, he's giving a, a horribly incorrect and um, often dangerous answer. But it, yeah, it's an answer. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do. You know, it's not surprising to me that um, Jordan Peterson and like a lot of the MRA guys tend to recruit from like. Um, depression forums, mental health forums of like young guys looking somewhere for like some, some sort of answer as to, you know, why they feel, um, ill at ease in the world. And yeah, it's, you know, they are, they are very often given, um, bad and dangerous answers. So. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, how, do, what, what do we do about men? <laughs> this is probably a, a bigger topic than I'm equipped to really answer, but it is, it is an abiding concern of mine. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right that in some way, like, 98% of all, like, culture is, like, saying, like, what should men do? <laughs> because yeah. if we just let them alone, they're going to do really bad things. And we need to, like, channel, well, channel no, them mean, to a more productive path. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have the the sort of now it's become a meme of, you know, the so much of literature is devoted to, like, you know, the, like, man uh, in a midlife crisis thinking about cheating on his wife with a student or whatever. Like, we do, you know, we have a lot of culture that is devoted to, like, the question of being a man. Um, although there's not really, there's, there's, I think, probably less devoted to the question of, like, being a good man or being um, a man who is interested in the feelings of others, <laughs> um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's speak of men and women and this eternal pr- problem. You wrote something about uh, the Lysistrata. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Lysistrata, yeah. Can you talk about that just for a minute? Because I thought, oh. I thought that was really interesting. It's just this annoying thing that you see from time to time online whenever, you know, um, men or, or the Republicans are doing something horrible whenever they, you know, proposed a new, like, um, fetal heartbeat bill or whatever, um, where you get women talking about, like, it's time to institute a sex strike. Like, the way that we really need to flex our political muscle is by refusing to sleep with these men until they will, you know, until their politics conform to um, our feminism, which is, you know, it just... On the face of it, like, how is that, who do you think are the women who are, like, fucking these Republican men, right? It's probably, it's women who hate abortion as much as they do, even though they probably had one. Um, you know, these are not women who share your politics. Um, so. And just, just so, so the Lysistrata is a play that Aristophanes wrote, yeah. you know, a Greek playwright, and I think it's, involves, uh, the women saying they will go on a sex strike in order to end the Peloponnesian War. Yes, because uh, the Peloponnesian War is, you know, so notoriously endless, and they, they're tired of this, and they would like their, you know, they would like their their sons back or whatever, and so they decide to, um, that they will stop sleeping with the men in the village until they agree um, to, to end the war. And, um, yeah, so it's become this kind of, like, shorthand for, you know, how women might be able to flex our political power, which, you know, despite the like logistical questions I have of, okay, who's, who's fucking these terrible men anyway, is just the idea that women should police male politics through our like sexual choices is kind of like icky to me as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's just a dumb thing that I got mad about, <laughs> which I feel uh, like that, that probably accounts for like a solid, I don't know. 40% of online writing is here's a dumb thing I hate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the online economy runs on that. Um, what your, uh, I reread the column, um, before this and did you, it reminded me of, um, a little bit of just uh, a character in a black Klansman. Did you see that? I'm not. Um, so there's, you know, it's about the KKK and a black police officer, um, who was involved in breaking up the KKK in Colorado in the seventies. And there's a, um, one of the main, guys in the, you know, that, the clan, uh, in Colorado, uh, his wife is a minor character and the beginning you see her and she kind of like looks silly and she, you see her like bringing in brownies and stuff like this. You think she's just like a moron. And then eventually you see that like, oh, she is just as committed to race hatred as he is. And she's like, I can't wait to kill that, you know, kill those Jews or whatever. She says, 
And then, like, she is involved in the bombing plot, like, as a central figure in this. So it, it doesn't, that's, like, not often portrayed in popular culture. It's usually, like, the, the woman is the innocent victim and then not the, the, the woman, like, is teamed up <laughs> with the uh, evil, vile man to, uh, to engage in horrible acts. So, uh, yeah, that's – thinking about the Republican women who are fine rep- fucking their Republican men, husbands, and partners – like, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I had assumed that the 2016 election would probably, you know, be the end of thinking that, like, there was some sort of political block that we could broadly label women. Um, but I still, you know, they, you, you still see that coming back, right, is, you know, um, did Kavanaugh uh, finally, you know, turn uh, women away from the GOP? Like, no. No, there were there were women who, out there who were upset on his behalf. You know, it's sort of the interesting thing. I haven't read Rebecca Traister's new book on um, female rage as as a political tool. Um, I'm planning on reading it, but you know, there's even there, there's a question of like, okay, how do we adjudicate these like different valences of female anger, of female rage? Right? There are a lot of women who are angry about the fact that abortion is legal. There are, there are women who are angry about the fact that they think that, you know, a good, a good Brett Kavanaugh's reputation was ruined. There are, you know, the fact that it's women's anger doesn't necessarily make it any more, um, progressive or valid (laughs) even. Um, and yeah, so that's definitely, I don't know. I've, Feminism is like my my first and my most abiding political commitment, but it's it's something that I've like been wrestling with a lot. Um, it's just like, what is it? Okay, what is it? What does it mean to be a feminist in 2018? That's kind of like an ongoing concern of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not it's not simple. And I just I haven't read the Tracer book either, but I did read a couple of reviews, and it does seem like she's positing women's anger as a, you know, almost entirely a force for, like, positive, progressive change in the world. Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, I'm sure Phyllis Schlafly was plenty angry <laughs> about the Equal Rights Amendment, and, you know, yeah. she, she got a lot done as well. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about you and you on Twitter, because, as I said before, uh, you are, like, a chief, like, one of the top practitioners of the Twitter forum, um, you know, if I had to, like, if I could only follow 10 people on Twitter, I think you would be one of them. Uh, you're, you're like, just really, really good at this. You're like a modern master. Um, so how, how do you view, how do you view Twitter? Like, how did you come to use it? And why, what, <laughs> why do you think you, you're so good at it? Um, that's a weird question to ask. I, uh, I started, I joined Twitter because I was working for this, like, bullshit self-publishing company when I was, when I lived in Minneapolis and, uh, I became their content manager, which is like a fake job. Um, and so I had to run their Twitter account. And so I was like, okay, I guess I better like join Twitter to see what this is. Um, and then I just kind of quickly figured out like, oh, this is where like you can tell jokes about really niche things. Um, and I, I guess I just kind of like took to it really quickly. I've always had an extremely dark sense of humor, <laughs> Um, and I'm also a very lazy writer. I, I've never, I've never in my life like gone over a word count or written anything like longer than it needs to be. So the idea that you can like tell jokes in this very like punchy kind of lazy way, uh, appealed to me. <laughs> and, um, 
yeah, I don't, it's, I, I mean, my only, my only real like guiding principle of Twitter um, is that if you spend like more than a minute crafting a tweet, that's cheating. Like you just got to, whatever dumb shit pops in your head, like you got to, you got to type it up. You got to scan it for like any obvious typos. And then you send that shit out into the world. <laughs> um, see how it does. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's still a weird thing that like that many people follow me on Twitter. Uh, I try not to think about it too hard because <laughs> it becomes odd. Um, I'm mainly grateful that like my mom doesn't know what Twitter is. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, okay. So I, I it seems like, like like Twitter has really changed your life because yeah. you're able to get these, you know, jobs working in social media and editing at at publications because um because of Twitter. And and I think in one you in one of the columns you talk about like Twitter as like the the best dating app, like better than Tinder because you can actually like get a well-rounded uh, or at least <laughs> you can see how people present them want to present themselves over a long period of time whether or not that's yeah. a, a true presentation. <laughs> Dating apps are are horrible, uh, punishing experiences that I loathe. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I whenever I try, you know, I I will re-download Tinder with this sort of renewed sense of optimism that like this time things are going to be great. And then a week later, you know, I'll get a notification and I'll like audibly sigh and I'm just like, okay, nope, done with this. So I have tended to um, meet people that I end up dating on Twitter. Not that that has, like, turned out exceptionally well for me either. Um, but, uh, yeah, you do at least get, you get a better sense of, like, somebody's politics. You can tell if they're funny in the same way that you're funny. Um, so I think that it it often uh, works better as a dating app. I mean, you know, that's assuming that you live, like, I live in Brooklyn. So it's uh, it's much easier for me to meet other people who are on Twitter because, you know, we all live in fucking Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, and that remind that reminds me that I um so I live in uh Rochester, New York, in western New York, and um in the run up to the uh Democratic uh gubernatorial primary, uh you know, probably uh, I, I follow a number of, you know, funny lefty people who live in Brooklyn or Queens on Twitter and uh you know, they were very, very excited about Cynthia Nixon. Um and I don't think I saw a single positive reference to Andrew Cuomo in my Twitter feed um, for months and months and months. Um, so then when primary day came, you know, I voted, I wasn't like, I don't hate Andrew Cuomo as much as some of these people hate Andrew Cuomo, but I voted for Nixon. Well, you don't have to take the subway every day. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's part of it. And the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the complaints about the subway are uh, obviously unique. Um, and, and then when the results started coming in, it was like a landslide in Kings County for, for Andrew Cuomo. He won every, yeah. he won all five boroughs. Um, and then I, I did a, a joke tweet that was like, I can't believe this. How is this possible? Everyone I know in, Bro- in Brooklyn Twitter, you know, loves Cynthia Nixon. Like, is this like photo fraud? And then a couple of people retweeted it. And then people who didn't understand that it was a joke, or maybe it wasn't <laughs> phrased very well, uh, started like yelling at me saying, and, and like screenshotting it and being like, look at these like entitled hipster millennials who don't know what the hell's <laughs> going on. And they're living in the bubble. And like multiple people compared me to Pauline Kale, who famously said she didn't know anyone who voted for Nixon. But you know, okay, so the point of this is just like it's a total bubble, and you like self-select the bubble. And, yeah, you know, well, which is 
what is that doing to us? Not, not just in politics, but other stuff as well. Yeah, and people often, um, people will will talk about what a dangerous thing it is to live in that sort of bubble, to which I kind of say, like, no, bullshit. I don't, like, I don't really feel like my life would be enriched by uh, knowing more Trump supporters. Like, I just, I'm really, I'm okay um, editing my life in such a way as to, like, keep me as sane as possible in a world that is constantly driving me mad, right? I don't, um, I, you know, the, the, the problem with Twitter for journalists, right? Like I'm not a reporter. The problem with Twitter for journalists is that it, it, you know, it very much skews your perception of what's important, um, how important things are, how many people are talking about us, you know, X or Y, right? So I think for, for journalists and political reporters, it can be like a professional hazard to be, you know, too online because it does, it, it really does start to like rewire your brain in <laughs> probably detrimental ways. Um, but for me, who just likes to go online and make jokes that like other people will recognize, right? I don't, yeah, I don't need to, I don't need to like expand my bubble. Thank you very much. I like it just fine. We're all, yeah, we're, we're all like, making jokes and wanting to die. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, at least the bubble has air in it, is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Knows what's outside the bubble. Um, yeah. The vacuum of space. Okay, so let's let's get back to the, like, everyone on Twitter is depressed um, thing. Like, do you think that's true? And if it's true, like, why does Twitter make you depressed? Do depressants, <laughs> like, tend to mm-hmm. enjoy Twitter? And why exactly would depressants tend uh, to enjoy Twitter? Uh, a chicken-egg situation? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I have, I don't know. I mean, I certainly think, like, Twitter probably exacerbates depression, but only because, you know, being sort of like constantly pummeled by awful news about the world is going to exacerbate your depression. Um, so I don't know that that's a Twitter problem so much as a, a, a you know, modern existence problem. Twitter mm-hmm. just like gives you just a constant onslaught of things to be depressed about. <laughs> so um, that doesn't help. I think, you know, probably... It's probably true that, like, for most of history, mildly depressive people, you know, not like, you know, if if you were in, if you were tilting towards a period of, like, a major depressive episode, I would recommend logging off. (laughs) You know, you need to, like, attend to more important things than, like, you know, popping off that great tweet about how you haven't showered in five days or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for mild depressives, a sort of, like, wry sensibility has always been a little bit comforting. Um, and you find a lot of that online and you also, you know, there is, there is comfort to be found in like common feeling. So there's something about that as well, you know, of just yeah. like other people who are broken like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. There's in, in, depending on which like sector of Twitter you end up, there's like a island of misfit toys yeah. <laughs> aspect to it. I know just speaking personally, when I had a severe depressive episode a couple of years ago, I like couldn't tweet and I just couldn't produce a like thought that was like coherently interesting, or at least I thought, at least I judged it that way. So uh, yeah, there was like a couple months where I didn't, you know, where I, I would look at it, but I, um, couldn't produce anything at all. Then some people who I sort of knew like sent me direct message, be like, "Hey, is everything okay?" And I was like, "Well, I'm, in, I'm suffering from depression right now." But um, yeah, but then some, you know, some people that that 
that's they continue to, to be verbally productive while they're um, while they're depressed and uh, yeah I, I think it, it's positive like interacting with other people who have a similar uh, mental disposition I think is, is positive and as you said like the the stigma about mental illness has gone down in the past couple of years I think probably social media has has contributed to it um, because you can see people you know talking about these things uh, honestly um, do you okay I want to so this is like the extremely Twitter part of the conversation. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask about reply yeah, guys. I do, have to get, I do have to get back to work and like, I can. Uh, okay. Th- this can be the last question then. Um, I wanted to ask about reply guys and like, what it's <laughs> like having like, you make a joke and then like 50 like middle-aged men, you don't know, reply to it, sending various strange things. Like, like what, what, what is that experience like? Um, so, okay. So the weird, the thing about that for me is that I switched my notifications uh, maybe like a year ago, I switched them to only people I follow. So I don't even necessarily see those. Um, but I am aware that like Brandy Jensen reply guy has become a sort of meme in and of itself, which is bizarre. Um, and I'll see, you know, reference to it as like shorthand for just a really like deeply sad, lonely, corny guy. And I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I sometimes, I feel bad for people who, you know, are just, like, out here trying to be less lonely, <laughs> you know, but uh, certainly there are, there are, like, better and less creepy ways of being a reply guy. Like, I don't know, maybe I should write up to, like, you know, some rules for, like, respectful reply guys, <laughs> where, <laughs> you know, like, it's, yeah. if you just want to, you know, if, if you want to, like, riff or like you know add something to like that's great that's how we all kind of like exist on twitter if you want to like say something that like sexualizes my dog which has happened uh like no no like no (laughs) oh god um (laughs) so there's depths to which i i have not even previously imagined that that are happening it's it's weird out there and you know the the worst ones are definitely just, you know, like older guy that's like a, you know, a picture of him with like his kids and he's just being super creepy online. Like, I don't know, man, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some other way for you to spend your golden years. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I've thought about, cause I've jokingly like called myself a reply guy in, in some ways. Um, I'm not like a, I guess the classic reply guy is like just some random person who has no public profile aside from, you know, replying to Eve Pizer uh, tweets. But, um, I, but I, you know, I've, I've wondered, like, who are these people? I thought about writing an article about them because it does seem like a weird thing to do. Not even the ones who are like, show me your feet, but who just send like, are always like, love it so much or, or, or something like that. It just, it's just a weird way to interact with people. I mean, look, I, it's a weird way to interact with people, but I also like, if you were just being benignly supportive, like, I'm fine with that. I have no qualms with that. I don't, you know. There's, there's something kind of weirdly like, you know, I, like, I don't know, the, the, the people who have this kind of, you know, I don't, I, I don't like look me directly in the eyes, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to like interact with the masses kind of approach to Twitter is like, that's kind of weird <laughs> in its own way, right? I mean, yeah. You know, we all we all started somewhere. I was a reply girl when I first started on Twitter. So 
And look at you now. So, okay, so you give hope. It's, it's a hopeful message, ultimately. Um, yeah, just, like, just, just don't be weird, you know? Just try not to be weird. Really, that's, like, the best advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Brandy Jensen, thank you so much for coming on. So on Twitter, you're Brandy L. Jensen, all one word. Um, I encourage everyone to follow you. Um, uh, so thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, talk to you later. Before you go, a quick message from the Suits at Meaning of Life TV. Meaning of Life will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Meaning of Life programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.